Thank you for listening to the Sermon on the Mount, God's Everyday Kingdom, a sermon series from Doxa Church. Join us each week as we explore God's vision for human flourishing in His kingdom. For more information, visit us Sunday mornings in Bellevue at 9 and 11 a.m. or online at doxa-church.com. Matthew 5, 1 through 6 says, Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, he went up on the, uh, his disciples came to him. He sat down and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for theirs, uh, for they shall be satisfied. This is Matthew 5, 1 through 6. You could all be seated. Well, Good morning. If you're new with us, each week someone is, has memorized, committed to memory the scripture that we're going through. And so uh, it's fun to see us take seriously scripture memorization. I hope that a lot of you are joining in on that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount this year. My name is Jeff. If you're new, I want to welcome you as well. Let you know that one of the jobs that I, sir, I, I engage in here is I'm one of the elders, which is another word for saying overseer. So we have several of us who oversee the, the direction of our church together. And uh, I also give a lot of my time to teaching and preaching. I share that with Justin Anderson, but you're also seeing new voices come on stage as well because we want to continue to raise up more and more people to do that. So it's exciting for me to be able to sit and learn from others. I hope that you've been encouraged by the other voices that you're getting to hear. I want to ask the question in light of the passage, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. I want to ask you if you've ever been hungry, like really hungry. Anybody ever been really hungry? Okay. Our, our staff, a couple times a year, we fast uh, from eating for a full day and then pray together. And if you were around here, you would see a bunch of hangry staff. The, the whole day, they're like, this is horrible, and this is so hard. And by the time we get to the restaurant that we all break fast together at, they, they don't even wait for the main course. They order appetizers as quickly as they can to satisfy their hunger. Because that's what you do when you're hungry. You, you eat. And you eat as much as you can or as quickly as you can. Our, each one of our children as they were babies, made it very clear to us when they were hungry. I actually think that Maggie was the loudest of them all, making sure we all knew she was hungry. Uh, as a little baby, the entire house heard her screaming. Uh, that hasn't changed a whole lot with Maggie. Uh, she still likes to eat a lot uh, uh, and, and makes it very clear when she's hungry. Uh, I've actually done uh, a, a longer fast, uh, up to 40 days before, and I can tell you when you fast that long, you know what hunger is. You get to a place where you're like, okay, I just can't wait to chew something again, because uh, you get tired of not chewing anything. And, and so I, I, I know hunger, you know hunger. The question is, what are you hungry for right now? What have you been hungry for this week in order to rightly understand this passage, blessed are those or flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied, we need to back up again and look at the structure of this passage. I think it's very important to understand both the structure as well as the meaning of the word righteousness in this passage. So first of all, the structure. As Justin shared last week, you can look at the Beatitudes, this first part of Jesus' sermon 
and break it up into three parts. Three parts of three th- with three themes each. The first one, the theme primarily being humility, which we've already walked through. The second part, which I'm kicking off today, is around justice, uh, wanting things as they ought to be. The third part is around peace, uh, both with God as well as with each other. So you can look at it in three ways. You can also look at the, the Beatitudes in two sections. The first four being an identification of our neediness. And then the second four being what happens as God satisfies us or meets us in our neediness. And if you think about it that way, then this passage today becomes a significant bridge text or a connector into the next several texts we'll be looking at in the next few days or next few weeks. But as we look at the idea of hunger, I want us to back up and walk through the statements again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like we said, to be poor in spirit is to be aware of my spiritual need and my dependency on God. It's to recognize my spiritual poverty or bankruptcy apart from Jesus Christ. Which then leads to the next statement, blessed or flourishing are those who mourn, for they they shall be comforted. Donald spoke on this. The idea here is that as I'm aware of my spiritual poverty and the brokenness around me, I am quick to say, this is not as it ought to be. I mourn the brokenness in my life. I mourn the brokenness in the world. And blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Mourning is another way of agreeing with God and saying, the sin that we've committed, the destruction and chaos it's produced is as bad as the cross tells us it is. And we agree with that. And so we mourn it. We don't, we don't deny it. We don't diminish it. We fully say, yes, it is bad. It's caused destruction. And we mourn over that. Which leads to the third statement, blessed or flourishing are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As I mourn and remember uh, how broken things are as I experience that and, and, and say it's, it's really bad. I'm not afraid to admit that. Then I also remember the reason why it's as broken as it is is because we've forgotten from whom we've received our power and resources and we've forgotten the purpose for which we've been given them, which is what Justin talked about last week. Meekness is being fully aware. Everything we have is from God and it's always for the purposes that God has given us. And when we forget that it's from God and we forget the purpose for what he's given it for, that's the opposite of meekness. That's selfishness and pride. Meekness is to stand in the place where we say, God, it's all from you and it's all for you. The reason why there's so much brokenness in the world is because we have not walked in meekness. We've forgotten our spiritual poverty We've forgotten to mourn over the brokenness that sin produces. We've forgotten our position and purpose for why God has called us to be his people. So, that leads us to hunger. That leads us to thirst for the world as it's meant to be. That leads us to thirst and hunger for righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? The equivalent of righteousness is the can be described well in the Hebrew term shalom. When we hear the word shalom, if you know Hebrew at all, you know that's, that's the word we've translated peace. But if you're not careful, you, you're, you're prone to just say that's a relational reality when actually righteousness is another way of saying shalom, the way the world is meant to be. 
the way I'm meant to be, the way we're meant to be in relationship, and the way the world is meant to be for God's glory. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is a way of saying, I hunger and thirst for the world to be as it ought to be. I crave, I long for me to be as I ought to be, for us to be as we ought to be, for the world to be as it ought to be. But to be clear, it's not merely thinking about the way I want it to be, it's the way he wants it to be. It's his righteousness, his way, his ideology for ourselves and the world. That's why Jesus later in Matthew 6, says this, but seek first his, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The world rightly experiencing and expressing God's rule in and through all things is where righteousness reigns. You want to know what is righteous? It's where the world rightly expresses the rule and reign of God in all things. It's where the world is as God meant it to be, not just the way we want it to be. To be really clear, this is not just religious rule keeping. We, we can get ourselves in trouble and go, so give me the list, tell me what to do, what does it look like to live a righteous life? And if we're not careful, we fall into the same trap that the Pharisees did, where we just go, I just know the list, I keep the list, I'm a good religious person. But Jesus says this, in the midst of these very religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes, in verse 20 of Matthew 5, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He then goes on in the rest of the verses, 21 through 47, to describe what this righteousness looks like, which we're going to spend a lot of time in later in this year. But just to give you a brief uh, intro to it, he says things like this. Murder is not just when you kill somebody, it's when in your heart you wish they weren't in your life. When you can think of yourself as saying, you know, it'd be really great if you weren't in my life or you weren't in my community. That's the same as murder, Jesus says. Oh, when you look at a man or a woman lustfully in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. Jesus says things like this, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Be a people who say the same thing they believe versus saying something different than what you actually believe in your heart. Be someone who keeps your vows in marriage. Be somebody who's committed not only to loving one another, but to even loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Be a people who are deeply committed to reconciliation at all costs. And he begins to lay out what righteousness looks like. And in every case, even the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious of them all have to admit they have not lived the way that God has intended them to live. And I hope that you and I will come to the same place where we realize we're hungry. We don't, we don't live this life. We don't, we don't walk in these ways. Our world doesn't express what Jesus said is truly shalom. And then if we see that, we hear Jesus' words at the end of his message, verse 48, in case he doesn't make it abundantly clear, he does now, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And hopefully at that point you go, okay, I'm hungry because I lack, I don't have it, I'm not perfect. At that point, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger for the world to be made right for me to be made right, for us to be made right, for everything around us to be made right. And it's, it's to admit, 
I'm not right, we're not right, it's not right. None of us measure up to righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to look at myself and go, God, I long for the day when I will be without sin. I long for the day when I will love you and others perfectly. I'm deeply dissatisfied with my spiritual condition as it exists today. I'm starving to become more like you, God. I want to be more like you in how I handle myself in 405 traffic. I want to be more like you in how I wait in a grocery line patiently when someone is in the line for 15 items or less and they have 20. I long to be like you when my neighbor doesn't cut their lawn and it's growing weeds into mine. I know I'm being petty here, but I'm just being honest, right? I long for the day when my dog is not the bane of my existence, when I actually love all creatures, including Coco. Like, I long for the day when I am like you, amen? And I hunger and thirst for righteousness in my relationships. I I want so much better. I don't want to be satisfied with brokenness and bitterness, with envy and slander, with gossip and and how I tear down people. I I want love amongst us. I, I want love with my neighbor. I want love with my spouse. I want love with my kids. I want love with my coworkers. I I hate brokenness. I I hate unreconciliation. I hate it when we're not acting the way we ought. I'm hungry. I have a relationship with a man who used to be one of my best friends. And we've gone through some brokenness over the years. And we're presently not reconciled. And I don't like that. And I want to be reconciled. And I've done everything I know as far as it depends on me, as scripture commands us to do, to be at peace. And yet we're not. And when I pray for him and I pray for us, I'm hungry. I don't want it to be that way. I know that I will be satisfied because there will be a day when we will be rightly reconciled. I know that. But I'm still hungry today that that would change. Maybe you're feeling that in your relationships. Maybe you're experiencing hunger, thirst for things to be different. I interact with a lot of people up here praying with people after the gathering and I hear hunger over and over and over. To hunger and thirst for righteousness in me, to hunger and thirst for righteousness with us, and to hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world that's so broken means I long for a day when race, ethnicity, education, and economic status will no longer be the filters through which we look through when we value the innate value of another human but we see an image bearer of God. Regardless of their color, regardless of their race, regardless of their background, regardless of what they've done, we see an image bearer of God and we love them and we, we value them and we grant significance to them because they're made in the image of God. I'm starving for a day when justice reigns and mercy abounds. I'm starving for a day when there'll be no more hunger and homelessness. 
I'm hungry for the day when there'll be no more fatherlessness or widows who are lonely and not in a family. I'm dying for the day when there'll be no more killing or war and no more school shootings. I'm hungry for a day when there's no more sickness and death. I don't want to watch another person die of cancer. I'm hungry. I long for heaven. I want heaven on earth. Anybody hungry with me? I hope that you feel this. I hope that you hunger for it. Because God made you to hunger for it. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God put eternity into man's heart. God made you to long for better. He made you to want heaven on earth. Even if you're not yet a Christian in the room yet, even if you don't yet believe the things that Christ has accomplished for you in his life and his death and his resurrection, it is clear you want the very same things I want. You want a different world. You want things to be made right. And that's because God made you to want that. He made you to long for the echo of Eden without, its, without sin and to look forward to a future hope where there'll be a perfect world. He made you for that, for what Nora talked about, that there'll be a, a, an end to this, that fear has an expiration date because there will be no more sorrow or suffering, no more tears, no more death. He made you that way. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were. That's why the scriptures continue to call God's people aliens and strangers, exiles, because we know that the world as it is today is not ultimately our home. We were made for so much more. And yet there might be some of you here today who are perfectly content with yourself, with your relationships in the world as it is. And you may need to hear C.S. Lewis's words from the weight of glory where he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, referring to the future hope we have, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with, dark, with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I could just pause right now. Most of us in the room go through our week meeting everyone ever desires exactly how we want. We eat what we want. Most of us sleep where we want. Most of us have every desire we could ever imagine satisfied in terms of our flesh. So it's easy to go, I'm fine. We're fine. It's fine. But it's not. If it was, Jesus would never have had to come. Let me just ask, are you far too easily satisfied with food and drink? I'm a foodie. Okay, little confession. I like food a lot. I've been doing like a change in my diet lately and when you do that, you realize how much you really like something, right? And Janie and I are for Lent are fasting from alcoholics. I really enjoy a nice glass of wine with a nice meal, like a nice medium steak, a little bit toward the rare side of the medium. Uh, 
Hey, yes? All you vegetarians, you're missing out. It's okay. You're all going, yeah, and you're going to have problems later. It's okay. But we're not, we're saying no to it for a bit. I, I've got to be honest. Like every night I'm like, man, why is it that I crave food and drink more than Jesus? It's one of the reasons why I do fasting is because I want to have that, that acknowledgement that the, the hunger pangs in my stomach and the craving for sugar oftentimes is stronger than my longing for him. And I need that reminder. Maybe some of you, it's not food and drink, it's Netflix and Hulu. And you just gotta binge on one more series and ask yourself, like, how many more times do you have to watch This Is Us? And no, you're gonna be depressed. <laughs> right? Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe it's dating or sex. If I could just get this relationship, if we could just engage in this pleasure... Or maybe it's just a great vacation. Janie and I are leaving in two weeks to go to Maui to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Yeah, you can do that. That's a good thing. I gotta be honest. This morning even, I woke up and I looked out and I saw clouds and I was hungry for Maui. And I'm like, how many more days till I get to be in the sun? And quickly, the Spirit said, do you hunger for righteousness like you hunger for Maui? (laughs) Maui's good. All these things are good gifts. But if I'm not careful, I long for the gift and not the giver. See, I want to be clear. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just to long for better life. It's to be hungry for God. All that he is and all that he does. J.N. Darby said this when referring to the hunger of the prodigal son, which before I read this, I just want to remember, some of you don't know the prodigal son's story. He said, Father, will you give me my inheritance so that I can go out and spend it? He went on and spent it on everything he could ever imagine, lived the the better life. In a sense, he was hungry to to, to spend all that he had, to to enjoy pleasure and to its fullest. And he did. And after he had squandered everything and got himself into trouble, he found himself so hungry that he was willing to eat the food that that was being served to the pigs. And this became the, the image Jesus wanted to create for all of us, that if we've gone anywhere else but the Father, anywhere else but to God for our deepest satisfaction, we will find ourselves like the prodigal son, believing for a season that we're living the life, but one day we'll find ourselves in the pigsty and we'll come to our senses and go, this is not where I belong. And this is what J.N. Darby says, to be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what is in his, God's heart, towards me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon the husk, that's the pig food. But when he was starving, he returned to his father. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for the one who is righteous so that he can make me righteous, so that he can lead me in the paths of righteousness. 
Jesus says at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount that there will be many who seek to do righteous things in his name. And this is a warning for us, family. We can go out of here and go, man, we're gonna, we're gonna change the world. We're gonna do mercy and justice. We're gonna care for the fatherless and the poor. We're gonna engage in our mission of communities in real tangible ways of serving our neighbors, which is all really good. But if you don't get him, it's nothing Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty good works in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want you to hear that. He calls good works lawlessness. Why? Because they had no connection to him, no relationship with him. See, religious behavior or even working to bring about justice in our own strength in the world is not flourishing if you're not getting Jesus first. I was with Harvey Drake a while ago talking about how do we work together as churches in the area to really saturate the the greater Puget Sound with the good news of Jesus, both in deed as well as word. And he said, Jeff, I'm all with you as long as we continue to preach the word. Because he said, if all we do is commit ourselves to social justice and we walk away from Jesus, he said, I want nothing to do with that. We've got to get Jesus if we're going to get righteousness, if we're going to get justice, if we're going to get mercy. There might be a lot of you here today who look at yourself and your relationships in the world and you go, I want it to change. But here's the question. Changed by what? Changed to what? Changed for what? You and I were made by God for God. And the only perfect picture of righteousness is God and the world that God intends it to be. See, if if we think we can go bring the change to the world without at first experiencing the change to our own hearts, then we're fooling ourselves. St. Augustine said this, thou made us for thyself and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Blaise Pascal said that we all have a God-shaped void in our lives. To the one who attempts to change himself, his relationships, or the world without God, will just merely seek to change everything in accordance to your own image, your own plan, and your own vision. And that won't resemble God at all. See, that's the problem we already have around us. We all, like the prodigal, said, I can create a better world without God. Just give me your gifts, just give me your blessing, just give me your provision, and we'll go do this without you. And look at what we've done. The world we have, as it is, is a result of us walking away from the Father believing we could build a better life away from him. Blessed or flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, if you realize you're not righteous and your relationships are not righteous and the world is not righteous, it's not the way it was meant to be. If you know that righteousness is not just better, but it's like God, resembles what he's like, it's true shalom, heaven on earth, and you want that righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for it, then you are flourishing. Why? Because you know that it's a good thing to come to a feast hungry because you'll actually eat it. You guys ever come to a really good feast and you were full? And you're like, man, I wish I hadn't eaten. 
There's so many good things here. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, it's really good if you're hungry for righteousness, for relational righteousness, for personal righteousness, for world, the world to be made right. Because what that means is you show up at the feast and God says, I've made a table for you and I'm gonna satisfy you with my righteousness. Ultimately, that is him satisfying us with himself. Isaiah 55, one says this, come, everyone who thirst." Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. I love that phrase. You don't have any money? Come, buy and eat. With what? With what God gives you. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's the heart of the gospel. It's not that you show up with your righteousness, it's you show up with a, with a debt. And you say, I got nothing, God. I need everything from you. And he gives it freely. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is, does not satisfy is that what you did this last week? You found yourself pouring into something and you knew you walked away still hungry? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. You know who that rich food is? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up and he says, I am the bread from heaven. If you eat of me, you'll never go hungry. He says to the woman at the well, I have access to water. If you come to me, you'll never go thirsty. It'll, it'll be like a, a well, he says later on, the, the spirit of God, a well inside of you that just continues to overflow with life-giving power. This water that keeps you satisfied, that satisfies your greatest longing with himself. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Jesus is the one who came and lived perfectly on your behalf, doing what you and I couldn't do, living out the life we all want. We were all made to want it. You want to know the life you were made to want? The life that Jesus lived. He says this, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is right before he lays out what righteousness looks like. And what is, what is he saying there? He's saying, I'm not coming here to, to set it aside and say, it doesn't matter that you love. It doesn't matter that you're faithful. It doesn't matter that you're pure. In fact, I'm saying, I will be love. I will be faithful. I will be pure for you. I'm not come to set it aside. I come to fulfill it. I've come to be what you can't be. I've come to be your righteousness. Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. It's referring to Jews and Gentiles. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace as a gift. It's not something you earn, it's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, that's full payment for your sin, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Man, that is good news. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, for righteousness, if you're looking at your life going, man, I fall short, 
My life doesn't look like the life it was meant to be. My relationships are not as they ought to be. The world, I see it, 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 it bothers me. The injustice, the, the depravity all around me. There's good news for you. Because Jesus came to be your righteousness. Jesus came to satisfy the justice of God by paying for all of our unrighteousness and being for us righteousness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in referring to this verse, Matthew 5, 6, that I've been preaching on today, says this, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. In other words, what he's saying is, if you don't hear the verse, blessed or flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And when you hear that, you realize, Jesus is my righteousness, and I only can be satisfied in his sufficiency. And because he's given his life for me, I'm made righteous before God. And the very hunger and longing I have that is at the very heart of my very being has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. And when you hear that verse and you realize God satisfied you with Christ, then you go, yes! He's given me what I long for. And if you don't say yes, then you should re-examine your faith. Because what have you put your hope in to satisfy your longing? The good news of Jesus Christ is not only did he pay for our unrighteousness and exchanged himself as our righteousness, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The good news is not only that you are judicially proclaimed or declared righteous before God, that your right standing has been made right before God because of Jesus, but you also have the righteous one living in you. Don't miss this. He has cleansed you from your sins so you could be a holy vessel in which God by his spirit now dwells. So not only are you declared righteous, but you have the righteous one in you so you can live a righteous life. Philippians 2 says this, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Don't miss that. He's saying, not only have you been made right before God, but keep working out that salvation that enables the very righteousness of God to be worked out in your life, to change your desires, to change your behaviors. One of your prayers on a regular basis, if you're hungry, should be, God, I see my life and it's not as you want it to be and I hunger for it to be what you want it to be. I know I'm forgiven and I have a right standing before you because of what Jesus has done, but I'm not satisfied with the life I'm living. I want to live a different life. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. So I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and work righteousness out of my life. Help me to walk with you in how you change my want. In fact, you might even want to do this. God, I don't even want to be righteous in certain areas of my life because I love holding on to my sin. Would you change my wants? Help me to want to want. Help me to want to want to want. For some of you, it might be, help me to want to want to want to want to want to want to want. Because it's like six steps removed because you're so far away from wanting. 
what he wants. And maybe your prayer is, God, make me hungry for righteousness in the purity of my eyes. Make me hungry for righteousness in the way I love my neighbor. Make me hungry for righteousness in the way that I handle my money. Make me hungry for righteousness in the way that I care for people who have rejected me. Make me hungry. Change my wants. And then make me willing, not only to do it, but then able to do it with your power. Paul goes on in verse 13 of chapter four, Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Don't miss this. He's saying, I have the same power that enabled Jesus to live the life he lived, to raise him from the dead. I no longer have to be a slave to unrighteousness. I can live a new life. Whoever believes this and is in relationship with Jesus, I want to pause there. In relationship, one of the best questions my wife has asked me over the years is not, Jeff, how are you doing? But how are you and Jesus doing? I I was interacting with one of the female leaders in our church recently and talking to her about her desire and kind of what she thinks she's called to here in our church. And she sent me a long email and she said, hey, Jeff, I want to let you know that I have these conversations often with people at our church and I'll ask them, so tell me about your relationship with God. And she said, they'll talk to me about their church attendance or their spiritual disciplines or why they're at doxa. And then I'll stop and say, no, no, no. I mean, like, how are you and God doing? Not your spiritual activity. Tell me about your relationship with God. Jesus says in John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they might know you. And that no is the same no that Abraham knew Sarah and then had Isaac. That they might know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. See, I want you to hear this. God is not calling you to go and try and be righteous. He's calling you to a relationship with who the the righteous one is, with Jesus Christ, to come into relationship with him. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like seeing your own brokenness that'll make you hungry for Jesus if you know that he'll satisfy you in that brokenness. I, I tell people all the time, the longer I've been following Jesus, the more aware I am how much I'm not like Jesus. When I first met him, I thought it wasn't that bad. The longer I've walked with him, the more I've realized, man, I was a mess. But God just knew I couldn't handle seeing how much of a mess I was when I first met him because I didn't know how great his grace was for my sin. But the more that I walk with him, the more that I see what he's like, the more that I realize I'm hardly anything like him. And the more that I realize I'm not like him, the more hungry I am for his grace. And the more I receive his grace, the more I want to obey him. And the more I want to obey him, the more I say, I can't do it without you. I need you. Will you be righteousness for me? Will you be righteousness through me? Will you change my heart and change my behaviors? And I have to do this on a regular basis, family. On a regular basis. Maybe you're looking at the people in your life, you're going, I am hungry. God, be for me righteousness. Help me to experience your righteousness. Change me and then work out of me. Maybe in your mission of community, you're going, Amen. We're hungry. We need help. We don't love each other well. We don't care for each other well. Maybe you're looking at the people your mission community is trying to reach. We, we don't know how to bring righteousness to those places. You look at the future reality of what it's going to be like, and you go, it's nothing like that yet. And that gap between what will be and what should be is big. And that should make you hungry. And as a mission community, you should say, Jesus, be our righteousness, and Jesus, fill us with your spirit, and Jesus, send us out to be able to be a people that actually give a taste of what the kingdom of God is really like. See, as you look to the future of what it will be like, that should give you a heart to make it 
let people taste what it could be like right now. That's part of what Noah was talking about. It's the future reality changes your present world. And that's where the church, God's people, invite the Spirit of God to say, Holy Spirit, would you through us to the world bring a taste of the future into our present world so that they will taste and see that the Lord is good and they also will be blessed with the same hunger we have because they'll long for the future like we do and then they'll find Jesus as their only hope. Peter Kreef says, most apologetics try to feed spinach to a reluctant baby who stubbornly closes its mouth. What you have to do is make the baby hungry. People who work with starving victims know the best way to make somebody who's been starving for a long time hungry is to put honey on their tongue. Church, we're the honey of God. We should be living as a righteous people, working for the righteousness of God in the world with the power of the Holy Spirit in us in such a way that the honey of God is put on the tongue of spiritually starving people who don't yet know that they're starving for God so that they might awaken to their, their hunger and their thirst and realize the only one who can truly satisfy their longings is the one who put the honey on our tongue as well. Jesus Christ. Family, may we with the help of God's spirit be the sweetness of God in the world so the world might taste and see that they're just as hungry as we are and then would we put in front of them the feast of Jesus so they can find what they're ultimately longing for in him. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you are making me more and more aware of my spiritual poverty, that you give me the freedom to mourn it because you'll comfort me, that you call me into a posture of weakness and meekness where I'm dependent on you but empowered by your spirit like Jesus was. I pray that our family would believe those things and we would move forward in light of that and say, God, we're hungry for your righteousness in our life. We're hungry for our right, your righteousness in our relationships. We're hungry for your righteousness in this world. And only you are righteous. So satisfy us with yourself. And we pray you'd give us the ability to bring you wherever we go to places that don't know they're hungry but will once they taste and see you. We ask that you do this for your glory, for their good. In Jesus' name, amen.